scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They have devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone is filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor for all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It is to be a joy to be the church, to be joined and united together as God's followers and to follow Him and be who He intends us to be. We're looking at us, we're in a series we're calling First Church, and we're looking at Acts 2 and trying to emulate those characteristics of those first believers as they gather together and to restore that same kind of power and passion in the Lord's church even today. You ever just considered why the Acts 2 church was so actively involved in the mission and in the growth of the church? What makes them so passionate and so involved? I'm, not, I'm sure I don't have all the answers. What do you think? Was it because it was so new and so fresh and so different? It obviously had a great value to them, something that they cared very deeply for. There was this kind of energy and vitality that exuded in all the folks at that time. They were very aware of each other. And they saw the importance of being dependent on one another, and relying on one another. They were very aware of those needs. And I imagine there was this overriding sense of urgency. For many of them, they had seen Jesus rise up. And, and if they hadn't seen it, they'd heard it from people who had. I wonder if they just walked around every once in a while and glanced up to heaven. Is, is it now? Is it going to be right now? They were looking up to see when Jesus returns. And so there was a sense of urgency. So do we still have that sense of urgency? Do we still have that same energy in the Lord's church today? And if not, why don't we? Are we, are we too far removed, both in distance and in time? Have we lost our, our vision? Have we lost our passion? Do we ever find ourselves walking around and, and glancing up and wondering, is could it be now? Is, is this the time? You know, the same message and motivation that was prevalent in that church in Acts chapter 2 is still valid for us today. And they, they, they had seen Jesus, or they'd seen those who had seen him. And they were being taught to follow Jesus, what his purpose was. The disciples were teaching them the, the words of Mark 10, 45, and the purpose of Jesus. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' purpose in this world was to meet the needs of others. So if they wanted to be like Christ, they needed to do that as well. And they could because God empowered them to do that. Paul would write in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we need to be like Jesus, and we can do this. God's got us ready. We are created for purpose and it was and prepared to do these things. And so as we serve, we want to serve like Jesus, to do what we're called upon to do because we're in that respect, we're serving Jesus. Paul would write in Colossians 3, verses 23 through 24, whatever you do, 
Work at it as with, as it, with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Our actions are for the Lord. It is Him we're serving. And so when they were reaching out to each other and serving, they knew they were being like Jesus. They were doing what Jesus empowered them to do, and it was like they were serving Christ. In that respect, that first church was very actively involved. They were involved with each other. They were actively involved with their community. And that's what we're called. We need to have that same kind of passion. We need to get involved and restore that passion in our lives as well. So how does a person get to the point that they are content to just be a spectator, just to attend? Is it that thought that they think, I've already done my part? You know, I've, I've taught my children's classes. I've taught my middle school classes. I've done that. It's time for somebody else to step forward now. Or do we compartmentalize our lives and think, you know, I can come and I can just be an attender because that's when I'm doing my, my God thing, my church thing. And then I have these other compartments in life like home and work and, and free time. So they, they don't let those cross over one another. We need to be actively involved. It was a challenge of the, in the first century, and it's a challenge for today as well. And in the text, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, that we're going to look at today, Paul kind of points out this struggle. And in the very middle of that passage is the verse 14, which I think was a challenge for that early church, and it's a challenge for the Lord's church even today. It is a challenge to be mature. Paul would write, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The danger of that church in Acts 2 is still the danger today is to be immature. And an immature church is one that just listens to what's going on and just goes with whatever is around them. And we need to be more than that. And so for that early church, what God had in store for them was to bring people to help equip them. Look at verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God helped them in that day overcome being infants, an infant church by bringing people in their lives that would help them understand how God works, to equip them, to equip the church, to build up the church. And the purpose of that equipping and building up is that we might be united, that we would all come together and see how we are a body and how it takes everybody to reach out and be actively involved to do what God would have us to do. And that unity is reached in faith through our faith in Jesus, but not more than that, also in knowledge. And not just a, a head knowledge, but uh, an experiential knowledge. It's something that I do and I act upon. It's knowing and it is serving. And then that unity then brings maturity and fullness. We'll no longer be infants tossed around. We'll have the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We'll be like Jesus. We'll grow like Jesus. In that early day, they were hearing the stories of Jesus. It was early years. Luke would write of those years in Luke 2.52 that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. 
And that's exactly how we come to that point of maturity. It doesn't mean that we are perfect. This is not talking about perfectionism. It's not something that's impossible. But it is a growth out of being a child into being an adult, to growing up and growing in our knowledge and growing the kingdom and to share our faith with others. And so if we'll grow like Jesus, then, verse 14, we won't be infants any longer. We won't be tossed about on the winds and the waves of culture and society. I, I imagine one of the greatest struggles in almost all relationships has to be immaturity. I, I think that's definitely the case in, in marriages. I think it's the case in our families, our workplaces, in school. It's when we act immature, many a time over my life, I have heard the words, will you just grow up? And I might have had gray hair at the time. <laughs> it has nothing to do with age. Immaturity can be something that's prevalent at any point. We get into ourselves into all kinds of problem, problems by saying immature things and acting in immature ways and making immature decisions. We just need to grow up. And that was the challenge Paul's writing about for early Christians. And then he says, here's how you do it. Verses 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love... We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. As each part does its work. What a great formula for how we can be mature Christians, a mature congregation, a mature fellowship of faith. And he says one of the th ways it starts is just speaking the truth in love. Speaking that truth in love. That's describing a mature Christian. Paul says one of the markers of maturity, of growing up in the faith, is you speak the truth in love. Now there's some among us that like to think that they just tell it like it is. They just speak the truth. Sometimes they like to call themselves prophets. They tell it like it is. Sometimes we like to call them jerks. You know, we, we need to, to speak the truth. Others of us, we like to be very loving in what we say. We don't like to level with people if it's going to cause any pray, pain. We just like to speak lovingly. And we call ourselves Christ-like. Others might call us wimps. The key is to speak the truth in, both, in, in love, to do both. To speak the truth, but do it in a loving manner. Just think of the trouble we would spare ourselves as a church family if we did this. If instead of going and talking to other people about any problems we might have, we went to the person and we told them in truth how we feel and what our concerns are. And we did it in a loving and kind way. If we want to be a mature family, we have to be active in each other's lives. Speaking the truth in love. And then we can become, in every respect, the body of Christ. And that's how we need to view ourselves, as a, as a body, as a, a group. That we're not alone. We're, we need to be the body of Christ. And as a body, we knew, know who's in charge. The head of this body, the one in charge, is Jesus Christ. It's not me, and it's not you. 
We have someone else that is the head. And we want to be a mature body that follows him. And the way we do that is each of us has to do our part in love. It takes each of us doing our part in love. There's a couple of words that are pretty fascinating. The word joined and held together. As a body, we are, spoke, we are joined because of the love of Christ. We're integrated. We're fit together. We're joined. And then what holds us together, those ligaments that hold us all together, is the unity we have. And quite frankly, one of the best ways I know of to strengthen our ties, to be held together, to be that we are joined and now held together by these ligaments is serving together. It's when you and me and all of us together as a body do what we're called to do, what we're enabled to do, what we're gifted to do. And then in that service, we're drawn together and held together. Actively serving enabled that early church to grow and mature, and it drew them together. It kept them together. And the same is true for us today. Because maturity has very little to do with age. Isn't that true? Maturity in Christ has much less to do with our age and much more to do with our faith in action. How we act in life. Are we a mature congregation? The Church of Christ in Edmond met for the first time on the second Sunday in November 1922. This year, in November of this year, this church family meeting at Edmond will be 97 years old. I'm sorry, but that's old. Therefore, we must be a very mature congregation because of our age. I got news for you. This church didn't start 97 years ago. We're over 2,000 years old because the Lord's church began on the day of Pentecost. Now, that's really old. So the Lord's church today must be very mature, right? But the reality is maturity in Christ has much less to do with age and much more to do with our faith in action. Maturity is not age. It's not appearance. Not has nothing to do with our accomplishments or our, our academics. Maturity is when we have the attitude of Christ, the mind of Christ. And so even though that church in Acts chapter 2 was a baby brand new church, they were a church that was showing great enthusiasm. And they were moving towards maturity. The church had just begun, but maturity has nothing to do with age. They weren't completely mature yet. They weren't just like Jesus, but they were headed in the right direction. We aren't completely mature yet either. But we're joined together by Christ, even though we're not just like Christ. But I hope we're headed in the right direction. I hope we'll be like this church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. 
and enjoying the favor of all the people, all the people. We're not yet mature, but if we hold dear these same characteristics, we're headed in the right direction. We're headed to being more like Jesus, the first church. That's the kind of power and passion we all need to have. We need to grow in our commitment. We need to be actively involved. Not just because, oh, there's a need there and nobody else is doing it, so I will. I mean, that's true. If there's a need and nobody else is filling it, we better step in. But not just to get the job done, but because of our commitment and our love, because of who we are and what we are. And then our service, our involvement shape us. It's time for some of us to move from consumer to contributor, to grow in our commitment. I'd like for us to be the Acts 2 church. But for us to be an Acts 2 church, I must first be an Acts 2 person. We must be Acts 2 people. And I'm not talking about a nationality, nor an age, not that we dress like them. We are different. This is a different time. We're a different body. But we have the same head, Jesus Christ. We have the same purpose, and there is the same need, a lost world. For us to be a church that is actively involved, I must be a person that is actively involved. It's true, the Acts 2 church was actively involved in ministry and in service and certainly in each other's lives in advancing the cause of Christ. And it's because they were wholly devoted to God. In many ways, their real faith was characterized by their rugged commitment. They were devoted. They were committed. And as we hold up the Acts 2 church as a pattern, an example for us today, we too, as Kent said, want to, to be like them as they are like Christ. And so we need to be devoted. We need to be committed. The first part of a year is a great time to make commitments. People make resolutions, they make changes, they decide based on good intentions to do things maybe differently. And so we are asking every person, every couple, every family in this congregation to consider, prayerfully consider, making and renewing some commitments. And some very important areas, some areas that actually reflect the Acts 2 church. Now, it's not that these areas paint the complete picture of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, but certainly they do reflect that early church. And I don't know about you, but I believe that God will and can and does still do what he did back then through his believers. And that is change the world. And so will you consider making commitments? In your bulletin today, you have an envelope. Inside that envelope is a wholly devoted commitment form. You might want to grab that form. If you didn't get one, I think our section hosts have some of those. You might just get their attention or raise your hand a little bit, and they'd be happy to hand you one of those. You can pick one up in the lobby if you don't get one this morning. We put it on the screen there, and I don't expect that you can read that. That looks to me like every time I go to the eye doctor, that's what I see in front of me when he says, read the first line. I have no idea what that says. But at least you get the picture of what it looks like, right? We've done these kinds of cards, these kinds of forms before. 
It's an opportunity for us to consolidate and communicate our commitments, not just to the church, but more than that, to God, so that God will use us in powerful ways as he did the first church. And as you look at that form, you will see that there is a lot of information on that form. It's a little overwhelming. There's a lot going on. And so today we want to introduce this commitment form, but we want you to take it home. Take it home. If you're married, if you have kids, talk about it, discuss it, think about it, reflect on it, certainly pray about it. Pray about this. And then we're going to mention it next week again. And after that, we'd ask that you would prayerfully fill this out and sign it and bring it back on February 3rd. And we will pray over those commitments. We will commit them, you might say, to God and ask for him to use these commitments to do great things this year for his glory. I also want to tell you that most of these commitments that you will be looking at and uh, signing up for and responding to aren't going to be tracked by anyone really but you. This is really between you and God. In fact, you might see the little uh, dashed line there. That's going to be separated. That's going to be taken off of your form. And so your privacy will be kept. No one's necessarily going to track these for you. But it's still important for us to, to make these commitments and to do this together. And so let's walk through these areas, again, that reflect the first church. First of all, as we just read a few moments ago, we see that these Christians were devoted to meeting together. They were devoted to God's word. They were devoted to prayer, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And so we are called to be devoted, first of all, to God's word and to prayer. And so as you think about your daily and weekly schedule, as you think about this year, how can you be devoted to God's word and to prayer. Maybe you want to join many others in this congregation who are reading through the Bible chronologically. There's a link there. There are reading plans out in the lobby. That'd be great. Maybe you have a different way of spending regular time in God's Word. Note that on this form. Whatever you do or whatever you plan to do, we want you in God's Word. We want you spending time in prayer. You'll also see that, as we said earlier, They met together regularly. The Acts 2 church wanted to be together. It's almost like they liked each other. (laughs) They enjoyed each other. But more than that, what brought them together was this common faith in Jesus Christ. And so they wanted to be together. We have times, assembly times, Bible class times, worship times, times that... We are asking you to commit to being a part of, to be present, to be active. And so think about how you, like the first Christians, like the first church, can have that same mindset, that same attitude that says, we want to be together. I want to encourage other Christians. I want to be encouraged by other Christians. I want to join together and lift up the name of God in worship. I want to open up the word of God and discuss it and study it with other Christians. Those times are so important. Also involvement. God did great things through their efforts in Acts chapter 2. And I believe God will do that today. Tonight, Kent and Matt Burton are going to talk to us 
about very specific ways to be involved. We want you to find a place here, to get connected here, to find a place to use the gifts that God has given you, to maybe discover some gifts God has given you, to develop those gifts and talents, and certainly to invest those into the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so they're going to talk to us tonight about some very specific ways. We're going to have an involvement form. We do that every year. And so that is online, but it's also going to be in hard copy. They'll say more about that tonight. When you look at the Acts 2 church, you will quickly see that they sacrificed. They were a giving church. They sacrificed for each other. If someone had need and someone had something, well, it's yours. If it's mine, it's yours. And certainly they sacrificed and gave so that the church would grow, so that the gospel would be preached. And we're asking you to commit to being a cheerful, sacrificial, genuine, heartfelt giver, someone who sacrifices for each other, who sacrifices for the advancement of the kingdom, for the cause of Christ. And so there are some specific questions there about your giving. And maybe this is an area, like all of these areas, where God can stretch you. Maybe God can challenge you to do even more. Maybe this is an opportunity to set up online giving. That link is there, which provides convenience and consistency for giving. As some of you know, we had to make some modifications in our church budget this year. And that's not to say that we, although we've cut a few things, that we aren't necessarily adding some things because we will be adding some things that are very much reflective of our values, what we hold to be very important here. But yes, we had to make some modifications. And by the way, there are some summary budgets out in the lobby. If you want to look at some of those numbers, feel free to grab one of those. But let me remind you, we don't give to a budget. It's so much deeper than that. Giving is such an act of worship and devotion. We give to God as an act of devotion, as an act of sacrifice. And God uses those gifts, certainly, to do great things. But he also uses the giver, me and you. He shapes us as we learn to give and to sacrifice He shapes us more and more into the image of his son who gave everything. And so maybe God is calling you to stretch and to grow in this area, in all of these areas. Again, let me remind you that just as in the past, this portion of your commitment form will be confidential. Uh, I won't see uh, what you put there. None of the ministry staff will see what you put there. That will remain confidential and we will protect your privacy. But again, what a great way to make a commitment. Now, certainly uh, circumstances could change any of these areas. But there's such value in saying, here's what we prayerfully intend to do. Here's what we want to do. Here's the direction we're going. And to have this personal accountability to God. And then finally, obviously, God did great things through the first church. As we said last week, in just... 300 years, there were millions and millions of Christians on earth. How did that happen? Because God worked through these Christians who had this great passion for Christ, and he empowered them to spread the gospel. 
despite what it meant. And so as we think about how we can make disciples, how God can make disciples through us, there are numerous ways that can happen. And so we've just put down a few of those. Maybe you're interested in Discovery Bible Study. We've talked a lot about it. Maybe you want to know more about it. Maybe you'd like to to be a part of that, but you don't know where to start. Well, indicate that on your form. Maybe you plan to go on a mission trip, or you'd like to know about a mission trip. Tell us about that. Maybe you want to be a part of Mission Edmond, our local outreach event later this year. Great event. Indicate that there. Certainly, on this next one, hopefully all of us can, can fill in that blank, that we want to live a lifestyle that is very missional. In other words, like Kent said, it's not like this is my church life, and then when I go to work, that's that life. No, we are spiritual beings living in a spiritual world. And so how can I, at work, at school, among friends, among family, in my neighborhood, how can I live very intentionally with the gospel on my lips and the love of Christ in my heart? How can I speak the truth in love? And I hope you're daily challenged with that question. I know that I am. And then the last two on this section are new exciting things that we will be launching next week, talking more about. We've quoted before David Young, who says, disciples are handcrafted, not mass-produced. And that makes a lot of sense. Jesus made disciples out of those 12 because he spent time with them. He shared life with them. He traveled with them. He had meaningful discussions with them. He taught them. The same thing is true for us. Discipleship happens in those conversations, in those moments together. And so mentoring is a great way for that to happen. Maybe you would like someone to mentor you as a couple, as a young man, a young woman. You would like someone to mentor you, someone that you can have meaningful conversation with with again more will be said next week but maybe that interests you or that last one something we're calling shared experiences this is activity based where people get together and they actually participate in an activity but there's also a very intentional time of opening up God's word together of having conversations that truly matter talking about faith talking about who God is what God is doing talking about those things You know, we're really good about doing things and having activities, and that's great. But we want these to be more focused than that. We want these activities and these groups to also be very much focused on growing spiritually, on developing disciples. Again, more will be said about that later. But maybe that interests you. And so what we're asking you to do is to take this home, Again, there's a lot to process there. There's a lot to kind of go through. Take this home, look at it, discuss it. Maybe pray about each section. Maybe every day is a different section that you pray about and ask God what he would have you do. And maybe he does want to stretch you in some areas, challenge you in some areas. Respond to those challenges. And then fill that out. And we're going to bring it back in two weeks on February 3rd. Put that in the sealed envelope, bring it back, and we're going to pray over those commitments and ask God to do great things in us and through us so that his name is honored and so that the gospel is proclaimed, not just on our mission trips, which is wonderful, but in our lives, in this community.
And so we're asking you to do that, and I hope that you will respond to that. Speaking of responses, these commitments we're talking about really are grounded in a greater, deeper, broader commitment. And that is the commitment that you and I make to Christ. That's the commitment that that we make when we say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he lived on this earth, that he gave his life for me. And I want to live for him. I want to surrender my life to him. Maybe today you're ready to make that commitment. What a great day it would be. We'd be happy to assist you with that and to celebrate with you. Or maybe today is a day where you need to get back on track and you need help from your church family. We'd be happy to pray for you, encourage you. We're going to stand and sing a song of invitation. We'll have a couple of shepherds and their wives in the parlor, a room right behind me. You can go out any of these doors, make your way around there. They'd be happy to receive you and pray with you and encourage you. Or you can come down to the front as we stand and sing. Let's stand and sing. We're part.